0: Quantum computing, fundamentally, is the best way to process information based on the laws of physics as we know them. I had constructed what I thought of as the generalisation of the universal Turing machine.
1: Can an astonishingly powerful new realm of computation be found within the quantum world? Will researchers ever realise the goal of what they call quantum supremacy? And what would it mean for our society if they did? From its fundamental building blocks, To the ultimate goal of a truly universal quantum computer. Join me, Oxford Professor of Philosophy Peter Millikan, as I explore this and many other questions on the Future Makers podcast, available today from wherever you listen to podcasts. You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. So this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech Podcast. My guest is uh, Sarah Boivere. She's an author of a book called The New Collar Workforce. And she's talking about the uh, through interviews with 200 employers, uh, the skills that uh, they say are needed to operate in new, new industries like uh, 3D printing and AI and robotics. So this, this should be a really interesting interview. Uh, Sarah, thanks for coming.
0: Oh, it's my pleasure.
1: Yeah. How did you uh, get the inspiration for this project? What uh, ma- What made you think of doing it?
0: Oh well that's kind of a long story. I uh, owned a a laser machine tool company that had a contract manufacturing component to it for many years that I sold in 1999 and I uh, got taken in to a lab at MIT since I was labless. They were generous after I sold my company and and gave me a home and it was uh, a group that had created fab labs, these digital fabrication laboratories around the world in the Center for Bits and Atoms and the Media Lab. And there were about 1,600 fab labs. And um, I um, had come from industry, so I knew the pain of having uh, the need for uh, trained employees, and of course, in those days, um lasers were pretty new to being used in manufacturing and and we did all of our training in house and uh, a lot of what goes on in bat labs is giving people hands on experience with all of these digital fabrication tools <clears throat> and so um I started to kind of put two and two together and to see how um our labs Could help with the skills gap, which um, is uh, still a problem uh, today. And um, yeah, so pretty much grew out of my background uh, in manufacturing.
1: Okay. When so you decided to interview two hundred employers. What was that like? And why that way of gathering information versus just using your own experience and postulating what uh, what skills were needed.
0: Well, I um had helped a community college near our factory develop a two-year program um, that was pretty specific to the kinds of needs that I had, and a, a number of fab labs across the United States and Canada had asked me if I would help them develop a curriculum. Uh, and, and I looked at it, and I'm a market research person, so I thought, well, I can't develop a... A curriculum without knowing who the end customer is, and the end customer is actually the person who's going to hire the student. Right? It's not just for the student or the faculty. It's for how are they going to get a job? And I was at uh, Rapid, the 3D Printing Conference, and HP that year, maybe two years ago, two and a half years ago. Um, HP had um. Introduced a production machine, and everything I heard from everybody everywhere, like coffee breaks and lunch, was things uh, the same thing. I'd love to have that HP machine, but I haven't got anybody to run it. and And I thought, well, if I'm going to really help people put a curriculum together, I really need to know who what the skills are that, that are necessary. And um, I wanted to get a wide range of uh, companies giving us feedback. I, the skill gap is really in operators and technicians, not so much in engineers, because we over the years have pushed more and more people to four-year degrees. So while there's some uh, need in engineering, uh, the real need is trying to find somebody who can actually run a CNC machine or fix a robot. And um, I So I wanted a really big sample, and I wanted people that ranged in size from Fortune 10 down to startups. And so because I had um, been in industry, these were a lot of my former customers, so it was pretty easy to find people to talk to. So we spoke to GM and Ford and Boeing and Apple and um, Boston Scientific, um, uh, all the way down to small startups. Um, around the country, and I tried to give it a diverse uh, geographic um, scope, uh, so I could come up with something that was sort of generic, as opposed to um, you know having it be specific, say, to the automotive industry. So I wanted it to be applicable to a lot of the areas, um, both in terms of geography and industry.
1: Yeah, I'm sure the companies appreciated you doing that, and they were very hopeful that you'd... Uh... You know, find some correlations and bring the info back to help them. Did any of them but, yeah, that to you, or they, they just yeah. talked?
0: Yeah, I know that's true. I mean, people were um, very happy to talk to me. Um, you know, one of the things I find, I I do a lot of consulting in workforce now uh, for organizations. I've, I've done some programs for regional chambers of commerce, for example. And one of the things we find is that the educators. And the employers don't really talk to each other, and just getting people to, you know, feel like somebody was listening to them and could help them with their um, their issues, I I think is is um, half the battle. And and people are we're just so thrilled to to have input and to be able to express uh, their concerns.
1: So what's um well, I don't want to just ask you and spoil the surprise, but what, what were some of the insights you got along the way as you talked to different companies? How did your questions change and how did your perception change?
0: Well, it was interesting because I tried to, um, you know, when you do market research, you try to to be um, uh, objective and to really not lead the um, interviewer, interviewee on uh, or lead them to the conclusion that you're looking for. So, there's a way that you frame your questions so that you are able to um, uh, really get an accurate picture and it was really interesting to me I I'm not sure what I was expecting because of course I ran a factory and I kind of I, I wasn't surprised by their answers but they uh, 95% of the people that I spoke to the first thing they said they wanted was problem-solving and um, and, and I'm hearing that more and more now it, it, even a few years later, it's become a, a a real rallying cry. One of the uh drivers for that is that technologies are changing so quickly that um when we hire people who have specific skills. Um, many of those skills are not going to be needed in the near future. Um, you just think about things like truck drivers, if we're going to be getting uh, autonomous vehicles, I mean, truck driving is going to be a different kind of, of job. And, and a lot of these uh, technologies are new technologies, so like 3D printing has evolved rap- very rapidly and has... Uh, gone from almost a a novelty machine to something that really is uh, capable to be run on the factory floor. and as those machines change, um, there's not somebody in the factory you can go to and say, hey, Joe, you know, um, who has been there 20 years, what do I do about this this machine not operating properly? Um, Nobody in the company has seen some of these technologies, and... um, it, it requires people who are have a, a lot of adaptability and are able to um, troubleshoot a machine, understand the basic um, fundamentals of of the technology, but can um, evolve with the technology. So if you're not a problem solver. Um, that's a really difficult thing to uh, to achieve. And the second thing they said they wanted was a hands-on experience, a lot of which, as you know, we've lost. I mean, as we, uh, you know, as cars have become complex. Kids don't buy cars anymore and fix them up. You know, they uh, get new cars from their parents. <laughs> and, uh, you know, a lot of engineers have never turned a screwdriver. And so uh, that was... Uh, those were two that I guess I didn't really expect. I was expecting a lot more uh, specific uh, technical skills. Uh, digital literacy was uh, the third thing they mentioned. So, things like being able to read a CAD drawing, being able to do predictive analytics for um, machinery, being able to um, read outputs from the sensors that are now ubiquitous in. Industry 4.0 for the connected factories. Um, so it was um, it was really eye-opening.
1: So the companies that sell these 3D printers or these robotic systems or all this stuff, it sounds like they're really going to have to step up and groom their own people to be able to service these things or somehow showcase their technology more so that, uh, you know, if they want widespread adoption of it, and there's no support for it. It's not going to be. A, it's mm-hmm. going to be a very short cycle mm-hmm. where uh, it comes back to them, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. you know the companies say, "Hey, you sold us this stuff. Now we we can't use it. We can't service it. We can't fix it." Mm-hmm. So where but, where do yeah. you think the burden needs to go?
0: No, that is exactly right. And I really think it has to be a public private partnership. Um, I think that the companies do have a burden of um, uh, in training. I think that they have to. Uh, And of course, like I was saying, the industry is really changing. So I was at the Rapid Conference last week in uh, Detroit and it was really striking to me how it's gone from a conference in like two or three years where it used to be little companies that had little 10 by 10 displays and now it's like these giant booths and the industry is booming. Big players are coming in like GE and HP and um, what... Uh, As the industry changes, I think those companies that are used to building machines that need service, I think they understand that better and they are making that investment. The other thing that they are doing is uh, a lot of companies are partnering with their local colleges and high schools and Bowtech schools and trying to um, help shape curriculum, uh, funding uh, specialized programs. Um, I'm in New Mexico and we work with Los Alamos, the national lab, which is the largest employer in New Mexico. They have about, I think it's 14,000 employees. And so they're working with my lab um, that is at the community college to develop digital badges. for safety in in these new technologies. Um, A lot of safety has not been addressed in these new machines. And so I think that a lot of employers are um, funding um, institutions and are funding organizations, new organizations like our nonprofit, uh, in order to be able to meet the demand.
1: Well, if you look at the pace of the new technologies being made and then put out there, into factories, into systems, and the base of education. How much of a lag is there, and what what do you project will happen in the next five or 10 years due to the differentials of the, the education and the creation of the machines and the technologies?
0: Yeah, if you hit the nail on the head, there's a lag. Um, you know, people are reticent to change. Um, but the kids are changing. The, the kids are uh, forging ahead. They're learning things online. I have a wonderful story of um, uh, an intern in my in my lab uh, where I was living on a trip, and he does 3D printing of small molds for jewelry jewelry in our uh, contract service area, which is how we pay our interns. And before I left, he said to me, "You know, I need some boxes." <clears throat> and I and I said to him, "Well, you know, go online and you know search something. When I come back, I'll buy them." So I come back a week later. He had gone onto the Autodesk uh, website. We have an Autodesk license uh, that they generously have given to all of the valve labs. And um, he had always used the 3D. Uh, program. He went and taught himself through their videos the 2D program. He went to our CNC specialist um, verified the design would work. Uh, he learned the CNC machine uh, in the lab with our our trainer, and he built these modular boxes that he could change the sizes of depending upon what he needed. Um, that they were fit pressed so that no screws or nothing false. And I came back and solved the whole problem in the week that I was gone. Um, the kids today don't wait for a class or wait for getting a, a long degree. What they do is they just want to learn it. And it's a real um, connect for the employers because the employers are more interested today in skills than they are in degrees. Uh, degrees are so expensive, kids are not. Valuing the education they're getting, you know, you spend a hundred thousand dollars and you can't get a job. So there's there's a real fast change uh, between the students and the learners, and I don't just mean young people; I mean people across the board, and the uh, employers and the educators have to keep up. So a lot of the um, structure that's in place, um, I think, has to be modified. In New Mexico, our uh, funding is predicated upon how many associate's degrees were granted the year before, so there is not the, and this is common in many, many states. um, uh, We did get our uh, completion rates up, which is a good thing, but if you wanna, uh, for example, take a certificate or a digital badge, uh, in your state, it may not be uh, financially motivating to the co- local college to make that change. And I just came from a U.S. News and World Report meeting in, in D.C., and it was really refreshing because everybody kind of tiptoes around, uh, you know, the topic. But they were it, the the speakers were just calling it like it is, and people were talking about how. In future years, it's going to be the continuing education department that is booming in a college and not the um, uh, the great granting program. Clearly, if you want to be a brain surgeon or if you want to be a rocket scientist at NASA or a laser physicist, you, you have to do a four-year degree, but it's not necessarily right for everyone. And I, and I, I think that the institutions like Harvard um, recently told me that their continuing ed department is issuing more uh, certificates than they are than Harvard's granting college degrees. And so I think those institutions like Harvard, MIT, uh, the really progressive schools like Lorraine County Community College that we work with that has a wonderful fab lab, um, I think those institutions are going to forge ahead and it's going to be a very scary time for the people who don't get on board and realize that change is uh essential and imminent, so
1: yeah hmm. that's interesting. I've heard of micro degrees, and you know my my kids, for instance, like they'll they'll go on YouTube and they'll learn whatever they feel like learning, which is pretty mm-hmm. cool you know they don't mm-hmm. they don't watch mm-hmm. t v they just they watch a video on something or a tutorial and they'll learn it, so it's uh yep. That was that was always the promise, you know, of the internet and things like that. But now it's actually working in some circumstances, which is mm-hmm. really cool.
0: That is, is that you're absolutely right. It really is cool. And um you know, the thing that struck me though, uh when I started to look so when I got done the research I got done and I thought, well, we don't need to develop another two year degree, we need something different. And I started to look around at what there was because there's no sense in reinventing the wheel. And there were a lot of organizations that have certifications, particularly online, but they don't have a hands-on component to them. And if I was going to hire a CNC machinist or somebody to repair a robot, I want to have somebody who's actually done it, who's had that hands-on experience that, that everybody in my survey talked about. And so we ended up Um, I thought digital badges were the answer because they're affordable and they're short and concise, but I wanted to have that hands-on experience. And so because we have in the MIT Network um, 250 fab labs in North America, I thought, well, we can do this in the fab lab. So you can take the coursework, you can take it either online or you can take it at your facility, but then you can do a project and the back end of our badge is a portfolio that shows that thought process. So rather than um, just take a test that shows, you know, the parameters or, you know, the tactical part of it, um, the academic part of it, you can actually demonstrate your problem solving. And I think that's where the power is. And so you're right, you can... Do so much online, Um, you know, things like CAD, things like that are easy to do, but you know, with CAD, you want to be able to show that whatever you designed actually worked, you know, that you actually could 3D print it and, and not end up with, with a, with a failed piece. And if you end up with a failed piece, what, how do you solve the problem? How do you figure out what went wrong? So I think that it's that combination between the accessibility of online learning from places like YouTube with the hands-on that you can get in a project-based learning setting, um, whether it's at a college or a high school and more and more um, high schools and colleges are getting fab labs and maker spaces where people are uh, getting uh, their, their feet wet and their hands dirty, literally, literally getting their hands dirty. And and that's the fun. I mean, when you design something and then you hold it in your hand, and it just fires up these kids, and it's it's just so cool to see in our lab in Santa Fe, because you know we'll have a student who's you know an okay student, and then they make something and they just light up, you know, and then they get all kinds of ideas of cool, fun things they can do, but uh, that actually are developing the kinds of skills that that we need. Not just in manufacturing, but when you think about it, robots and, and new technology drones are everywhere in, across industries, from agriculture to medicine. And um, is it really an exciting time? Is it an exciting time to be in this field?
1: So I guess two scenarios. What do you do if you're um, you know, 30, 40, 50 years old and you worked in the traditional economy and now you're out of a job and you want to get back in? Do you need to do much? Do you need to make a radical change? And then what if you're uh, you know, a kid right now, you're 8, 10, 12, or you're 17, 18? You know, what, what should people in all these stages be looking at and be doing to uh, be able to function in the economy that's coming?
0: Well, I really think that the um, looking for hands-on programs like a digital badge program um, is perfect Across the board. So uh, last summer we taught. This is this class was really representative. We taught design for 3D printing in our lab, and um, the class consisted of three PhDs from Los Alamos, two uh, artists from Santa Fe, where we where we're located, um, a jewelry maker, um, a kid who worked in the biofuels lab next door. Um, who had, I think, an associate's degree, Um, two community college students who, uh, one was in, I think, computer science, and I think the other one was in media arts, and the whole group was in the same class, and we could have had high school students or junior high students in in the same class, because with project-based learning, everybody is, is working on their own project. So... Uh, and they used their own uh, CAD that they used. So the guys who had gone to college before 3D printing was part of a college curriculum uh, it already knew uh, AutoCAD, so they used AutoCAD. Um, we had the artist who had never used CAD before, and we worked with them for a series of videos with a program called TinkerCAD. Um, everybody was using a different program, but had the same result where they could take the problem that they had and they could um, uh, work on it and then pretty print out the uh, prototype of of the solution and I think that um, you know um, digital literacy now <clears throat> is so much more ubiquitous I mean there were very few people that I run into in the world who don't have a smartphone or don't have email. there's a few um, that and actually we had somebody come to us who had been a car mechanic was out of work and um, he wasn't really excited about doing CAD, but boy if, if, if the 3d printer uh, the extrusion based kind of 3d printing was clogged, he was the guy who could take the machine apart, get it totally back going. And with some, with some work on the uh, CAD side of it, you know, he really started to get excited. And so I think it's, um, it's, it's a shift. So what I'm seeing is a shift in um, the kinds of jobs that there were. So when people talk about robotics taking over all our jobs, my, my feeling is that at least it this point in time, we still need people who can program the robots, who can um uh design them in the early phases and, and absolutely need to fix them because as we know in technology nothing works all the time. So I think it's it's our uh skills are shifting.
1: So hm. What's um what's your projection on what the job market will look like, you know, in the next five years versus the next twenty, let's say?
0: I th- I think I um, mean, in terms of numbers and, you know, like right now, we're,
1: in, terms we're of, in a list. I guess in terms of a few things, the types of jobs that are going to be not mm-hmm. here anymore versus here, the,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, the scope of employment, do you think that automation uh, will reduce the number of jobs out there totally, or they're just going to shift, it's not going to be reduced, and a few parameters on what you see happening in the next five or 20 years. Okay.
0: Yeah. So um, the um, World Economic Forum is predicting, and I want to say it's by 2025, I'd have to check, but they're predicting um, a loss of, I think it's 70 or 75 million jobs to automation worldwide. And with that, they're seeing a, a need for double that amount, so 150 million or so new kinds of jobs. Um, And so what I think is going to happen is we're going to have a real shift and I don't think the speed of technological change is going to slow, so it's going to be the people who have those transferable skills, the skills in problem solving, the, the skills in CAD uh, design skills and be able to um, uh, really take the technology and figure out how to make it work. And so I think our education model has to change from lecture to much more developing cognitive thinking kinds of skills. And I think what's going to happen in those jobs is uh, we often call them cobots. So um, well, automation is going to um, reduce a lot of jobs. New jobs are going to open for things like repairing robots. I was recently at a trade show, and this kid in the booth, there was a little robot running around the booth. It was a huge booth, and, um, and there was this kid there, and I said, "So, what do you do at the company?" He said, "Oh, I make sure the robot runs." And um, uh, Yeah, and you know what's so cool about it is, particularly for the young people, is these are things out of science fiction. I mean, how cool is that to... to Repair robots and to take care of the robot. I mean, how fun. I mean, when I tell little kids at the farmer's market, you know, they'll say to me um, that I, I have 3D printed earrings I wear, it, and they'll say, Oh, you have a 3D printer. And I say, Yeah, and I build lasers. They're like, Lasers, can you make a white saber? And it's, you know, these, they're not afraid of these technologies. Um, these are technologies that they've grown up with. And so I think it's really going to be a shift on um, kind of like how in Ford's era, the blacksmith um, job changed to somewhere on the production line. And it takes a different skill set, um, but underlying it all, what I'm finding is it takes um, agility and it takes problem solving. And I think as people, as these jobs shift and and change always oh, brings fear, but I think if if people can be open to new kinds of things, um, and like I said, you know, the, these are the things we see in science fiction. I mean, these are, these are way cool. I mean, I've been waiting since I was a child to have, you know, flying car like the Jetsons, and, you know, I, I'm not even sure I'll get it in my lifetime, but I mean, how cool is that? And I, I think these kids are excited about it. I mean, they're even though 3D printing isn't um, as dear to my heart as laser cutting, you know, I use 3D printing to get people in the door because you just say you 3D print something and they get all excited. And I think these technologies are opening up so, opening up the imagination. They're, they're giving people these uh, ideas that they never thought they, they could have. And I think the jobs are changing. Uh, really across all industries. So when we think about, um, um, I was just reading in I think it was the Boston Globe this morning about um, it was like you know robot on aisle two, and it was the use of uh, robotics in retail. Uh, uh, there's a group in I want to say state of Washington that is uh, has uh, robots in Walmart for cleaning, Vampi's cleaning robots. And um, and when you think about it, I mean, who wants to be, you know, who wants to be a health cleaning uh, person because the pay is low, it's, it's a dirty job. You think about the trash, co- you know, that's a great example. Trash collection is now a robotics job because, uh, at least where I live, you know, the trash truck comes down and the robotic arm comes out and picks up the trash can. I mean, so now you could have women running the trash truck because the, they're not having to do the heavy lifting like we did before. It's better for your back. Um, but it still takes the human. One day I was coming down the hill with a snowstorm and um, the trash cans of course weren't in the right place and, and the human had to you know, jump out and kind of position them but they still didn't have to do the heavy lifting. And I, I think that the robots allow us and, and the new technologies, not just robotics, but these new technologies allow us to do the things that only humans can do. And uh, when I, when you think about it, it's humans that innovate, it's not machines that innovate. And I think that freeing of uh, the really uniquely human capabilities so that the robots are turning the screws and, and doing the, the sort of unsafe unwanted jobs um allows humans to progress and you know we're at my my uh labs at a community college. I mean I'm not in the middle of, you know, um MIT or or, or a school like that. And the things that our students do is just absolutely mind boggling. When you give people the opportunity and you give them the training, um they're they just blossom. And it's it's really really gratifying.
1: Very good. So what's, um? So I guess the new collar is a, a 3D printed collar or a digital collar. It's not necessarily a collar, right?
0: <laughs> yeah. So so the new collar is a term coined by Ginny Rometty, who is the CEO of IBM, and uh, she wrote a letter to Mr. Trump when he was elected and said, we're thrilled that you're bringing back manufacturing, but we want new collar jobs. We don't want the old blue collar jobs. And so a lot of those blue-collar jobs have become digital, and um, uh, many of them don't require college degrees. They require particular skills. But I, I really believe that these new-collar jobs are really a path forward for opportunity for our communities and um, allow people to have a job where they are um, have good compensation, where they're working in you know clean, safe environments but and where they are um valued and and so I think it's a um i don't know I think supporting this educational change goes beyond finding. Employment, so people, of course, people need to feed their families. Um, but it goes beyond that to, I think, our communities having that solid base. And so when I grew up, I grew up, um, you know, in a solid middle class home. And um, it, my dad really had a great sense of, um, uh, his place in the world, and 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 he felt valued, and I think the, our emphasis today on, or, or in the past past few decades on, you know, that everybody has to go to college, has really created a divide that you know where people do not feel valued in in their lives or in their communities, and. Um, I, I I think it's going to be important for us to get over that for, for the nation in the U.S. To, to to really come back together, and I think the new color jobs are a way to do
1: that. Well, it's good amidst the doom and gloom of you know robots or automation taking all our jobs. <laughs> um, you know, you've got actually some strategies, some specifics on on what to do and how to do it. So I like that a lot. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, thanks. That, yeah, awesome. I thought about it a lot.
1: <laughs> so, where what what do you want your role to be? Are you going to come up with what you think should be badges or certifications or a whole program for for various industries or an industry or, like, what do you want to do going forward from here?
0: Well, um, I decided to test the badge idea, um, and so at my lab in Santa Fe, um, we started offering digital badges, and I started with 3D printing because that was kind of um, where the sweet spot was, and um and it really um exceeded my expectations uh the response to it from the community, the response from employers um and because we have this network um in North America of the um, FAB labs i I wanted to offer the badges to a wider group than just my santa fe community, and so we um of ten labs in in the United States. Uh, some of them are at community colleges. Some are at standalone uh, labs, and they're in a wide range of cities. So El Paso and Boston, inner city Boston, uh, Detroit, Tulsa, uh, Lorain County Community College outside of Cleveland, the Community College of Baltimore County in Maryland, uh, and a few others, and. Uh, I had funding from America Makes, the additive manufacturing institute based in Youngstown, that is a public-private partnership, and they funded uh, getting the platform. So uh, there's an international standards committee that oversees this official digital badges, and so we have um, our digital badge platform, or our digital badge built upon this platform. And we're piloting that now, and it's going pretty well. And in the next probably 30, 60 days, we'll expand that to um, not just our job labs in North America. We formed a a nonprofit to distribute the badges and that will issue the badges. And our platform will... um, be open to you know whoever wants to to join. It doesn't have to be a Lab. It could be a college that's not associated with our program. Um, and what what I discovered in researching the badges is that um, transferability um, is an issue, as is um, you know acceptance. So is a badge. Uh, Uh, They call it currency, it's a badge that's issued in Santa Fe, New Mexico, has the same currency as a badge issued by the community college in Baltimore. And so by having this North American program, we can ensure the currency of it. So if you're a big company and you're you're reviewing uh, candidates from 10 cities, you you still know that there's consistency in the quality of the work. And, and how the skills are verified. So um I I it's a pretty it's a pretty ambitious project. <laughs> um uh but I but I think it's important rather than have lots of siloed um, programs to have a group that works together. And our badges will be in uh technologically based so our first ones are in uh FDM and SLA 3D printing. And we have badges that can be stacked into a master badge for, say, a service technician. And then our other badges are uh, with Los Alamos for working on safety for new technologies. Um, we are talking with um, uh, Exponential Works um, out of Ventura, California, about doing some badging for a generative design software that they have, which is the next... Gap in CAD design. Uh, We're talking with uh, Trump, the German manufacturer of lasers, um, about uh, digital badges for lasers. And so uh, hopefully it'll grow into a program that covers um, many of the new technology uh, that people are are, are running
1: into. And then quick question uh, certifications versus badges. I've heard a lot about certifications in certain fields. Any point in Developing those are they a different level from badges? Are they perceived to be more valuable? Um,
0: they're not perceived to be more valuable by industry. Um, they, they, some of the certifications have um, either union or other types of organizations behind them that require a certification. Um, from the employer's standpoint, I haven't seen that they prefer one over the other. The certifications tend to be longer, so for example, a, a, a badge in our program is, is on average six weeks and costs about $250 plus a, a little lab fee that's like $50 a month or something like that, that's handled locally. And, um, and the certificates i think are are more a commitment you you know you sign up for it one of the the things particularly in a rural area like New Mexico is you know you sign up for a two year degree or or certificate and you don't finish and you have nothing to show for it and so you know in in a day and age where most of the community college students are working or have families. Uh, you know, stuff happens, and uh, with the badges, it allows people to walk away with something after a period as short as four weeks. So our shortest badge is four weeks, and with that, um, you know, for example, that that is a, a badge in CAD for design for 3D printing. Um, people can actually get a job, so I think it um, gives people a little bit more flexibility. I think the badges are much, much more flexible, which seems to be what at least the, the digital generation uh is looking for. So um I've I've heard um a lot of talk about how you know uh four year degrees will go away and I don't really believe that I think for certain things we absolutely need a four year degree. Like I said earlier, you, know, you wanna be you wanna be a brain surgeon, you need a four year degree. Um, but I think for certain things, certificates and badges um, really offer much more opportunity, particularly to people who have not had opportunities before, and for whom college maybe has never been an option. So, I, so I think both of, both ways are um, accepted by industry and are really really kind of um, important you know, for particularly rural areas in our city, you know, people who have non-traditional trajectories. Okay, very good.
1: So what's the best way for folks to get in touch, to ask questions, and, and to talk to you more?
0: Um, the the best website to go to is called um, newcolornetwork.com, and uh, you can reach me there. Um and uh learn more about our programs and some of our uh conferences and and workshops that we do
1: very good well sarah thanks for coming and i appreciate uh, all your work is going to be super important going forward for everybody so
0: thank you so very much for having me
1: you're listening to the future tech podcast with richard jacobs